Greetings, Hillside, from Karis Camp and Marty and Krista Bennett. Uh, it's wonderful to be back here. Um, I recognize a lot of you, but a lot of you are new faces. So I'm Krista. Marty was the youth pastor here for over a decade. Can you guys believe that? Um, and so we are now in Chilliwack at Karis Camp, which you just saw the family camp video for. You might have recognized a few faces. We may have put a little bit more of the Eggbon Casey family in than necessary, but they had a really good time and they're super photogenic, so there they were. Um, that's just us saying we welcome you to come to family camp this year. Um, Karis Camp is thriving, and all of our kids' camps are full every year. Registration opens February 11th, um, but uh, family camp is the one where we can actually fill up our entire camp because parents are the cabin leaders. Um, so we can have all of you guys there, and we would absolutely love to see you there. That's July 21st to 26th, so it's the week of July 21st, and you guys are all welcome. If you know of a family that needs to get away to connect with one another and with God, um, think about that. Think about Kara's camp. We are your guys' camp, and we're there to serve you. Um, also, if you don't know what you're doing yet this summer, young people, we are always looking for cabin leaders. So we have a wait list every single year for um, kids to be able to come into our camps. And our biggest need in order to be able to fill that wait list is more young people who can be in those cabins loving those kids. And you may have recalled um, last time I was here, I invited you guys into that process. We have kids who come to know Jesus every year at camp. It's a super exciting place to be. Um, 45 kids gave their lives to Jesus for the first time this year. So you should clap about that for Jesus. That is 45 lives changed for all eternity. Now, the majority of those kids go home to families who can't support the decision that they made. Um, actually, one of my youngest uh, boys, Riley, his best friend came to know Jesus, who's now coming to church with us every um, Sunday. However, well, not when we're here, obviously, but... Um, what we saw was a problem is how do we support these kids when they go home? And so we gave you guys the opportunity last time we were here to sponsor a new believer. They hadn't come to know Jesus yet, so we asked you pray that they would come to know Jesus. And then we asked you to invest $25 into a Focus on the Family Clubhouse subscription so that that magazine can get into their home. So there's scripture and stories that will kind of support the faith decision that they made in their home and then to continue praying for them after. So if you were one of those people, um, you not only got your the name for the one person or two people that you supported, you probably got extra because we had more kids come to know Jesus. But somehow, as only God can do, miraculously, um, all the money that we raised was only 60 cents off of what we owed Focus on the Family. You know when you tithe and you just don't know how things work out, like God just kind of takes care of it? That happened. So that was really, really cool. Thank you guys for supporting those new believers. Um, we've been there for three years. That's the most kids that we've come, uh, we've seen come to know Jesus. And I really believe that that's because we had people praying for them, you guys specifically praying for them to come to know Jesus. So that's what we're inviting you guys into is things like that. Marty has started up a whole discipleship track to help young leaders um, mature in their leadership development. We had some foresights there last year. That was awesome. Um, and uh, Hannah Piggott was with us, which was also amazing. It's uh, awesome having you guys um, represented there and investing into young lives. You have no idea 
what that little seed that you planted through that one thing that you said does in those kids' lives. And now we have 45 new kids in the kingdom. So that's amazing. Um, family camp, summer camp, we do a lot of other things. You're going to see posters coming up for some of those leadership discipleship opportunities. But also women. Lots of women in here. We have a ladies' retreat coming up May 3rd to 5th. So mark your calendars. Um, some of you may know Jan Hart. It looks like she's going to be our speaker for that weekend. And we would welcome you to come. We're going to be in the chalet and in the cabins. So the chalet is our nicest, newest building. And we're going to have an awesome time together where you do no dishes and get away from everything that stresses you and retreat your way. We'll have hot tubs and massages and good coffee and all that fun stuff that ladies' retreats should have. And chocolate, obviously chocolate. Um, so I hope to see you guys out there. Um, whether you're coming to serve or attend a camp, um, we would love to serve you. And thanks so much for listening. Here's Marty. Thank you. It's uh, really good to be here. Um, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm well aware that you guys didn't invite me. Okay. <laughs> I know that it wasn't you who invited me. No, last weekend, uh, Derwin called, panic in his voice. He said, Marty, I, I didn't see it coming. There's an elders. We're all going to be gone. I need somebody to fill in. Um, can you do me a big favor? And I said, yeah. I'd love to come back, and I'd love to see people I, I know and care for and love and to connect with you guys again. So here I am. Um, I also would like to say quickly that it is a blessing to have uh, Brett and Albert. You know Brett and Albert well. They are amazing. Um, they come out to camp um, once a month, and they work really hard. It is great to have them. Um, I do want to say um, that Brett has come out alone sometime. And there's a huge difference when he comes out alone and when he comes out with Albert. When he comes out alone, uh, he's more unfocused. Um, he's less productive. Um, and so when he comes out with Albert, who we call supervisor... Um, things go great, and uh, I just love it. So they are a huge blessing to, I know you guys, but they are a huge blessing to us as well. And so um, that's good. Before I begin, I just want to let you guys know that I was reminded again as I was preparing this message that this message does not work without the help of the Holy Spirit. It just doesn't. And so um, I want to, uh, I'm confident that the Holy Spirit is here today. Before Jesus left the earth, he said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do, I will send a helper to you to be with you always. And the cool thing is, is that God, by his spirit, is here to help me speak and you to hear. But not just to hear, but to apply and lead that to, to life change. And so I'm uh, looking forward to connecting with you. So I grew up in small town Alberta, Fort Saskatchewan. And my dad, uh, some of my memories of my dad were waking up early and seeing him like shovel the rink and flood the rink, backyard rink. It was awesome. I grew up skating and loving and enjoying hockey. Most of my memories up into the age of 15 all included hockey and, of course, girls. Um, hockey, I would say, probably was in my blood, but it never really got into my heart. I really like talkie, but I really loved Jesus. I really wanted people to know him. I was at church one Sunday, and I found out that there was going to be a guest speaker coming to our church. It happened to be Elvis Presley's stepbrother. So I'm like, cool. 
here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite my entire team to come out. And so it was a really big deal for me. I had never done anything like that. And I actually had never, ever called my grandma and grandpa. But that week, I did. I called them and had an awesome conversation on the phone because I knew they were prayer warriors. Anyways, the weekend came, and it was between second and third period. And I was about to kind of do the big invite, and one of the other uh, teammates yelled out, hey, guys, Megadeth's coming to Edmonton uh, in a couple of weeks. Who wants tickets? And there was some kind of fun chatter there. And once that kind of settled down, um, I found my spot, and I said, guys, we got a guest speaker coming to church. I would love for you guys to come and join me there. Seven of them showed up, and seven of those young men said yes to Jesus for the very first time. And it was awesome. So there was lots of excitement after that. And about three weeks later, I remember being at Center Ice at a practice, and a young guy came up to me, and he stopped, and he said, hey, I've been reading Revelation. Uh, He threw out a couple of questions about what he was reading, and he said, what else do I need to do? And I'm 11, and I think I remember saying, just keep reading. (laughs) But the truth is that I froze. I froze, and I realized that I don't know what to do. And so I literally did nothing. See, I didn't know how to help them follow Jesus. I did know how to invite them to church, but I had no idea how to invite them into my life. I didn't know what to do with their desire to learn and grow and change, and I certainly didn't know how to help them take the seeds of truth that they were learning and turn them into life-changing fruit. I'm guessing I'm not alone. I bet there are people in your life that want to change but don't know how. And I'm wondering, have they ever looked to you for help? Have they ever looked to you for hope? You might not even be aware. There are people in your life that are tired of the way they're living. They're tired of the the unhealthy patterns of thinking, of lust or bitterness or anger, but they don't know what to do. They don't know how to change. Maybe you are aware. Maybe you're really aware of that person who wants to change but doesn't know how, and you feel a lot like I did there at Center Ice. I don't know how to help, and I'm not sure I can help. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I say, yes, you can. Yes, you can help somebody change by first allowing God to change you, and then God using changed you to change one other life, one other story at a time. Now, I hope you didn't hear that I said you can change people, because I didn't say you can change people. And I'm not going to say that you can change people. What I did say is that you know people in your life who want to change and don't know how, and they need your help. And although you might not feel like you can help, I'm saying that you can. They need you to cooperate with Jesus and his spirit and wrestle through and submit to the life-changing process. Then you can show and tell them, God is at work, and this is how I know. See, I used to live like this. I used to talk like this. But then God spoke to me, God showed up, and he's changed me and is changing me. You can invite them into your story, and eventually, confidently, you can say, I know that God's changed me, I know that he can do the same for you. See, I wish I knew then what I know right now, because some of what I know right now could have been really helpful to me back then. So what do I know now that could have helped me back then when friends came to me wanting to change and not knowing how? The gospel changes people. I know that it's the gospel that changes people. 
In a nutshell, the gospel says that God himself entered into human history to rescue and restore all of creation in and through the work of Jesus Christ, period. See, there is a lot of truth. There is a ton of truth packed in and condensed into that nut. Paul says in Colossians 1.6 that since you heard the gospel, since you heard the gospel, it has been growing and bearing fruit. He also says in Romans that the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation. And Peter says that if you look in the mirror and you take a long look at your life and you recognize a lack of ongoing change, a lack of ongoing transformation in your life, it's because you're nearsighted and blind. You forgot the gospel. The gospel truth grows and bears fruit and is the power of God that brings salvation. See, when I was younger, I thought or I saw the gospel as the doorway into the kingdom. And so when these young men came to know Jesus, there was nothing else to do or I didn't know what else to do. But the gospel isn't just the means for salvation. It's also the primary means for transformation. The gospel doesn't just deal with the penalty for my sin. It also takes care of the power of sin. And see, the gospel reveals the truth about who God really is, who I really am without God, and then it reveals who I really am with God. Isaiah 55 and Jeremiah 17 provide a really helpful framework for the gospel. Isaiah 55 says that God's ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. Sure. But how much higher? Well, he says, they're as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his thoughts and his ways above ours. His thoughts are worlds apart from a different planet. They're foreign. His thoughts are higher than ours. And it says that ours in Jeremiah 17, our hearts are deceptive beyond cure. And so these two uh, scriptures provide us a really clear distinction between a holy God and unrighteous man. See, the gospel helps me see my need for a savior, but my need for the gospel continues after I'm saved. Because after I'm saved, I still have a tendency to think that the gap between me and God isn't as big as the Bible actually says it is. Can you believe it? That as a child of God, I can easily compare myself with others and judge them? See, every single time we compare ourselves with others or judge others, we're taking God's perfect holy standard and we're bringing it down to a standard that I can meet and others can't. And in so doing, I arrogantly think that I can meet God's standards on my own, apart from Christ. On the flip side, when I sin, uh, I can so <clears throat> easily minimize how bad I am by blaming others, justifying my action, and defending myself. Um, all of these ways make me appear better than I actually am. And so I need the gospel again to tell me the truth about who God really is. He's holy and he's perfect. He's a creator and judge over all. I need the gospel to tell me who I really am without God. I'm unrighteous. I'm guilty. And the gospel goes on to say who I really am with him. I am righteous. 
I am righteous. I am accepted and approved of by the Father. And that's unchanging and solid, not because anything I do or have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. I'm justified, made righteous. It happened in a court of law where God is judge and it was a permanent legal status that changed me when he died on the cross and I put faith in him from guilty to innocent. See, all the truth in the gospel, all of it, is absolutely key to life change. But it's not enough to know that, yes, that's key to life change. I also have to understand that that truth is a seed. See, Matthew 13 talks about a farmer who went into the field to sow some seeds in the fields. This is a parable of Jesus, and he makes a connection that the seed is the word of God and the field is the hearts of people. This parable reveals to us that all biblical truth comes to us in the form of a seed. I, like you, wish that truth came delivered in a fully mature tree producing fruit immediately. But it doesn't. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, although it's the smallest it grows to become the largest of the garden plants. It's intended to become the most dominant way that you think and act. See, although seeds are very small, they're incredibly powerful. Although seeds are really, really small, they are incredibly powerful. They are tree roots that can exert incredible force. Pavement, concrete, and even solid rock can't stop tree roots from breaking them up. Truth is powerful. There is a ton of life-changing potential in the smallest little mustard seed. John 8, 32, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, if you hold on to my teaching, then you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, just knowing the truth doesn't set you free. The truth in the form of a seed, doesn't set you free. Like, don't get me wrong, there's all the potential in the world for it to set you free, but you've got to abide in it. You've got to hold on to the word. You've got to abide in the truth. And I know that this isn't new to you, but it is true, and it's something that Derwin's been talking about, abiding in the word. And abide means to stay Abide means to stay, not just overnight or over the weekend, but to make a permanent place in your home, in your heart. Abide means stay permanently. See, if you want the word to change you, if you want the truth to set you free, don't treat it like a weekend guest. Treat it like a spouse and marry it. You know what happens when you get married, right? Then you start feeling the friction that's required to actually bring life change. What's the sound a seed makes, right? Just before it, it gives, it cracks open and brings forth life. Probably a lots of whining, like this is too hard. Ouch, it hurts. But that kind of pressure is required for life to come forth. So I want to illustrate this a little bit, and uh, in so doing, I am being incredibly vulnerable with my graphic 
design skills, all right? But here's a note. It is like 10, 20, 30 times better than it was when I uh, had a slideshow for Stephen Forsyth, and he mocks me to this day, so. <laughs> but here's what I want. I just want to slow down and, and help us understand this. There's God's thoughts are higher than ours. Man is on earth, and our hearts are deceptive above all. And Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, he says, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. And so you and me have the freedom to sow whatever thoughts we want. Like I can think on what is pure and true and lovely and right. And I, I have the freedom to do that. But I also have the freedom to sow lust, impurity. I can sow revengeful thoughts, angry thoughts, bitterness. I have the freedom to sow and think on whatever I want. But what you need to know is that all, see, all thoughts are like seeds, and they end up on the soil of your heart. It's true that every action you take is first a thought. So whatever seed or thought you focus on, whatever seed or thought you give attention to is eventually going to grow, and eventually it's going to become action. You've heard it say that you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap character. You sow character, and there's your life. Here's a picture of a man or woman's heart after years of allowing themselves to think and act on unhealthy, unholy thoughts. In the picture, I want you to imagine that the, the three yellow trees are um, the fruit or the result of someone thinking on godly thoughts. And so there's some fruit in his heart. The other side where there's all the green trees, the forest of trees represents um, just the thoughts and the patterns that are unhealthy and the fruit that comes from it. Let's say that this person wants to change but doesn't know how. Let's say that when they were young, they thought it was a good idea to take a subsection of their heart and grow in their pet sin, right? And so they, they spent time thinking on and acting on something that wasn't godly. But now they've come to their senses and they really want to change. So let's say that that heart is in me. That's my heart. In fact, that was my heart. I had a subsection of my heart where I just planted unhealthy, unholy stuff. Came to my senses and said, God, would you change me? And would you use changed me to change one other life, one other story at a time? You pray that prayer, God will answer it. And here's how he will. He'll communicate with you. Yeah, he'll share his word with you. He'll share his thoughts with you. Do you know how many thoughts God has of you? More than the number of the sands on the seashore. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. And he wants you to know his thoughts of you. So God communicates to me his word. But the problem is that it comes in the form of a seed. And so his word comes in the form of a seed and it's tended to land in the middle of the forest and it's intended to grow and bear fruit and bring life change. And this is actually where it gets really exciting. Or this is where it gets really discouraging. 
Because imagine being inside the forest of trees and looking around. The trees are are big and strong. The roots go down deep. Trees have been here forever. Whether it's lust or sin, greed, shame, anger, you can't imagine living without them. But you want to change, and so what does God do? He gives you a seed. Yeah, you wanted a match? It would have been nice to have a match, but he gives you a seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, my paraphrase, it has the potential when it grows to become the largest of the garden plants and become a tree. It has the potential to become the most dominating way that you think and the way that you live. See, God's truth, God's word is not intended to stay in the form of a seed. It is meant to grow, to bear fruit. It is intended to be powerful to salvation, not just delivering you from the penalty of your sin, but also saving you from the power of your sin. Jesus showed us the way. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. So you hold on to the seed, and what do you do? You take it and you plant it in the soil of your heart. You hold on to it. And you literally become a border guard. What's a border guard? Well, there are those intimidating-looking people at the crossing where they ask you these crazy questions. Who are you? And why are you coming in? And what are you going to do? How long are you going to be here? And what's your purpose? Right? They do a really good job at screening. Better than we do. The day I became a border guard meant that I was going to allow no thought to go unchecked. Seems like an innocent thought. Open the trunk. (laughs) What's really in there? Let No thought, go unchecked. But this can be incredibly hard. Imagine yourself standing in a a forest full of sinful fruit from your life, deep patterns that you don't know what to do. All you got is a seed and you plant it. And then you don't see the fruit. Not overnight, not over the weekend. What do you do? You just see all of this other fruit it's unhealthy fruit that can be incredibly overwhelming. That's why you need to abide. You focus on it. Whatever you focus on will grow. You know people, I know you do, you know people who want to change, but they don't know how. They really do need your help. They need you to believe the gospel. They need you to take specific truths from God and abide in it. Hold on to it until life change is produced. See, my tendency, my temptation, even at 11 years old when my friends looked to me for help, was to look into my pockets for seeds of truth I could share. But I quickly recognized I don't have enough seeds. And I concluded that I can't help you because I don't know enough. And so for most of my life, I've been collecting seeds because I really do want to be helpful. But what I know now that I wish I knew then 
is that if I would just take a few seeds, if I would have just taken the little bit of truth that I do know and believe it and act on it and live in light of it, then I would begin to change. And God's life would begin to show up and change me, and then God could use changed me to show and tell others about how his truth has changed me. See, when it comes to change, we don't change for just change's sake. And we don't change because, man, I would like my spouse or somebody else to change, so I'm going to change first so that they change. That's not why we change. John says in 15.8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple, showing yourself to actually be following me. See, we bear fruit to reveal who God really is. So I want to practice this together this morning. We have time to just practice what I'm talking about. We're going to take a seed of truth and plant it. This idea of making, how do we make truth a permanent place in our home? So, there's four things that uh, I want to do. We're just going to identify some truth. We're going to look at the potential of that seed. Then we're going to look at barriers and actions we can take. So, to make it really simple, um, oh, there's that last graphic design. That was awesome. So, that's exactly what's supposed to happen, right? I bet you caught that, right? It grows up and becomes the most dominant thing ever. Love it. Sean, I need help with graphic design. All right, so I want to take a seed this morning that we've already mentioned, and it is that you are righteous. The scripture, the truth is found in scripture, rooted in scripture in Romans 5.1. I'm going to read it. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So all we're doing is looking for, we're identifying inspired truth, right? In seed form. So the truth in that scripture is that we're justified. We've been justified by faith. That means that we are declared righteous. That means that we used to be seen as guilty, but because of what Christ did, now we are innocent, and we can forever experience that permanent state of acceptance and approval by the Father. Oh, that's truth, and it's powerful truth, and it's key to life change, but it comes to us in the form of a seed. So, there's lots of potential in there. My question is, can you see the potential in the seed? What would your life look like what would your life feel like if you really did believe that? You guys can feel free to, to, to speak it out if you have. Okay, why would you feel like you'd be more generous because you believed this? Absolutely. So right in there, you see a very, very generous God. And you accept that and live in light of it, you're going to be more generous. What else? What other life-changing potential is found in this specific truth that you are righteous? Righteous. 
forgiven. Absolutely. I don't know if you're like me, um, but I used to, every time I sin, I would feel a need to compensate for my sin. Like after I sin, I knew I was forgiven, but I needed to pray a little bit, maybe read a scripture, maybe take some time before I went into the Father's presence. But if you really know that you're forgiven for the sin that you do and will do, it makes a huge difference. Be forgiving. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of stuff. And, and and I want I want you guys to, to understand something. If you wanted to move from Canada to the States, there'd be a lot of process. Right? There'd be a process for you to get established there, right? And build a life there. For, for, for you to have the thoughts from a different kingdom, a different planet come and transplant them into your own life, it takes some time. There's a process. There's a working through. There's some hard work to do. But he wants his kingdom to come. For me, stop punishing myself. Stop punishing others. Uh, you guys said forgiven. Um, the truth is those who are forgiven much do love much. They really do. I think we'd do less comparing and judging if we believe this. I think there'd be a greater sense of security of who you are. I think you'd, you'd be released from having to strive to try to prove yourself. What, what would barriers? If we go to barriers, what barriers are there? And most of the barriers to life change are lies. So what are some barriers that um, could come up and make it hard to believe that you are righteous? I don't, no, go ahead. That's right, exactly. As was mentioned maybe in the first service, yeah, I'm gonna mess up again. I'm gonna mess up again. How can honestly God love me? How can it be that easy that I'm innocent? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. I don't deserve it. Next, next part is just what action can you take? And I'm just going to use these as, as examples for, for, for you to take. Um, but um, I've been working with some young people, and one of the things they're doing is just writing out truth on a index card, just carrying it with them, right? Doing whatever you can to get it right in front of your face. One of the things I did to nail this down and get in my life is I made a decision to deal swiftly with sin. That meant that when I sinned or become aware of my sin, I was not going to default to kind of compensating for it. I was going to run right into the Father's presence. I just decided to do that. That was action I was determined to take. And guess what? I expected to find him like this, and I found him like this. And I didn't just know he was like this now. I actually experienced him like this. That blew a circuit in my mind. 
That transformed me and is continuing to transform me. So I do, I want to encourage you to think about truths God has spoken to you over the years. Seeds that you've maybe put in your pocket or slipped into a drawer somewhere. And think about it, pull it out. What is the truth that God has spoken to me? What is the potential? What could my life look like? What life is in that seed? And what are the things that are keeping me from believing that? And what can I do right now to act on that? I've got about seven truths that I'm working through right now. Three of them are the truth that God is my savior, that he is my father, that he is my king. That he is my savior, actually, I would feel like it's a pretty healthy plant, almost like a tree, because I believe, he's given me faith to believe that he is my savior, and I really do believe I'm spiritually debt-free. Like, I love, I don't know if you guys can experience, if you guys have a huge mortgage or you have huge debt, how would it feel to have no debt? feels good. How would it feel to know, I can't even look back, my record is awful. Like if I showed you my record, you would have a very hard time listening to me. You would. But guess what God sees? It's clean. I'm innocent. I'm declared innocent. And I live as though that's true. And I have to practice that, but I love it. He's my savior. He's also my father. Listen to me here. He is my father. I've known that for most of my life. But I was stuck in a forest of unhealthy trees. And I could not hear my father, and I needed help to hear. And so I had to, in order for me to hear God's word of truth, I needed help from a friend. That friend, Aaron Short. It took me 18 months Every single week, I couldn't hear on my own. I needed somebody else to sit there with and just talk and just listen to Jesus. But over and over and over, you know what God spoke? You are mine. The times that was most powerful was, was a week where I just felt like I couldn't get anything right. To show up to prayer and Jesus, just give you permission to speak whatever you want. You are mine. Seriously? And he just hold me in that truth. You can't do it on your own. You really can't. You're not intended to. So why do you need to to do this? Why do you need to abide in the truth? Why do you need to work so hard to hold on to the truth and to focus on it until it brings forth fruit? It's because your potential, who you really are, is locked up in a seed. See, Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does that happen? How does his kingdom come? How does his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We've kind of been talking about it this morning, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. See, he sends his thoughts. He makes his thoughts known to us. Which thoughts? These thoughts that are high as the heavens above. He makes those thoughts known to us. They're from a different world, a different kingdom. And he gives us this picture in the Bible that he is the head and we are the body. And so if it's really true that every action is first a thought, then part of our purpose as a church is to manifest to manifest the thoughts of God. 
to manifest the mind of Christ. We need to know his thoughts, plant them, believe them, and live them out. And in so doing, those thoughts will grow, will follow him and learn his ways, and will reveal his ways to the world. So now I just want to conclude by inviting you to imagine. Imagine with me. Imagine you know someone and they want to change, but they don't know how. They really do want to change, but they don't know how. Imagine you pray, God, would you change me? Would you use changed me to change one other life, one other story at a time? And imagine God speaks to you, because he will. He'll answer that prayer. And maybe it'll be a new thought, or maybe he'll just, by the power of the Spirit, remind you of an old truth, a seed that's just sitting there on the dresser. And imagine that you do the hard work. Imagine you take that seed and you're like, okay, this is the season. This is the season to plant, to water, to focus, to get all border guard. And imagine, imagine that you plant it and you focus on it and you don't worry about all the the patterns and stuff and you just focus on it and you do whatever it takes. You call in support and help. And imagine that that truth, you begin to hold on and act on it and live in light of it until it starts bringing forth life change and fruit. And then imagine, imagine you run into that person, that boy or girl who wants to change but doesn't know how. They don't know where to start, and you're able to confidently say to him or her, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, I honestly don't think life gets much better than that. Let's pray. Father, you are really good. I love your plan, that you plan to create us and that not leave us here alone, but that you would continue to speak to us and talk to us. Give us really soft hearts. And give us faith to believe. When you speak to us, we just ask for that, that, that gift of faith to combine your word with faith. And hold on and learn to abide in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, invite you to uh, have some refreshments at the back end. And of course... Come on forward if you want to receive prayer uh, about anything, but even if it's just to, you know, you want some support in prayer for even some of the things we've been talking about today, come on forward. We'd love to pray for you uh, with regard to things like that. Um, But in the meantime, receive the benediction. And the benediction is this. May the Lord give you grace. May the Lord give you grace that the seed of the gospel would go deep. Would go deep. And in his time, it would bear much fruit. Much fruit to the glory of his name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be blessed.